Ulterior. This episode is for the dweebs who are not going to be seeing Paramore next year. It's me. I'm dweebs. Uh, I'm also sick right now, so my voice is going to sound different for the duration of this episode, and I guess I apologize for that, but at the same time, I, I, I don't know what you want me to do about that. So yeah, just let that be, you know, uh, I probably shouldn't be doing this episode considering how my voice is, but, you know, you want to make big boy money, you gotta do big boy shit. I don't make any money off of this, I don't know why I said that. Um, before getting into this week's content, I, I do want to say right now that for reasons pertaining to a certain band in the scene, uh, thousand below, the cutoff date for year-end awards is being uh, shifted another week. So initially, I was planning to have December 2nd be the cutoff date. Now it is December 9th, and I will elaborate on that next week, but uh, that's basically what's happening. So Top 100 Songs series will now run from December 12th through the 16th, and then Top 50 Records will be going on from the 19th through the 23rd. So look forward to those. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I believe so. But I'll worry about that when the time comes in a month. For this episode, we have new singles from the likes of Nothing Nowhere, Youth Fountain, To the Grave, and a couple of others I want to get through, and then brand new records from Avoid, Slowly Slowly, Magnolia Park, Dayseeker, and Sharia Moore. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy this episode. There's quite a bit to get through musically for this episode, so the news topics, I'm going to not speed through them, but uh, kind of keep it as condensed as possible. So, the uh, I'm sorry for having to bring up another death story, but it's in the news, so here I am to talk about it. Uh, the passing of Aaron Carter. He was 34, found in a bathtub by a housekeeper, and that was crazy, and... I think the trajectory of Aaron Carter in general the last couple of years has been like a really, really wild one to watch play out. I didn't hear anything about him. I, I thought he had kind of just like, you know, fallen off the face of the earth per se. And then I remember seeing him pop up on an interview on No Jumper. And that was where I saw him for the first time, the way he looked uh, up until his passing. So, you know, face tattoos, kind of skinny, like it was very jarring. And, um, you know, obviously there are no like, public details about how he passed there were only public details about what he went through in life and what he battled and addiction is just fucking abysmal and it doesn't have any uh it doesn't have a bias it doesn't choose you know who it attacks it's just something that happens and yeah that's kind of what i need to say about that um you know all the blessings in the world to the family and friends of aaron carter any fans of his affected by this and just yeah it sucks uh, the Astros won the World Series 4-2 to over the Philadelphia Phillies, and this is my fault, uh, because when the Astros got packed up in Game 1, I got on this microphone and I was like, oh yeah, they're done, so it's curtains, and then it wasn't, now they're champions. Uh, I apologize for that if you need me to apologize for it. Uh, I don't have a say in uh, baseball, I don't really care about it, I just 
enjoy uh, the playoffs in the World Series every year. So, yeah, uh, Astros did the thing. That's cool, I guess. That's not cool, I guess. I don't fucking know, man. I'm just covering the news. Uh, Twitter has rolled out the new process for verification. And by process, I mean your $8 payment to which you can use to impersonate a verified account. It is really, really, really fucking startling what I've been able to see that payment method be able to do and how the uh, spreading of misinformation will only be amplified through this. Uh, I know there is like a... Um, a way to tell between actual verified accounts and the paid for accounts, but that's not really the point. The point is that this shouldn't be a thing at all, and it is fucking terrible, and I would only hope that one day Elon Musk can decide to just change it back to the way it was, but I don't anticipate that happening because Elon Musk is Elon Musk. Um, I will say, though, the ability to tell who paid for verification and who didn't is crazy. Like That is insane dick riding. There was the brand new album by Drake and 21 Savage. I hope whoever really wanted to enjoy it was able to. Um, I have not heard it yet outside of all of the memes that have been attached to Rich Flex. And I I think they're pretty funny, honestly. Um, But yeah, I've only listened to, I think, two scene records or two non-scene records this year. uh, Jack Harlow and Taylor Swift. I really did enjoy both. Uh, Dua Lipa by Jack Mine on my Spotify wrapped. Uh, I, I love that song. Um, but yeah, anyways, Drake and 21, I, I'm sure I'll get to it at some point, but right now I've got some other stuff I need to do. So that's on hold for right now. But again, if you wanted to enjoy their album, I hope you did. Um, this actually wasn't a planned news story, but it's something that I did see, uh, earlier today. Uh, StockX will no longer guarantee authenticity on your sneakers. That is crazy and insane given how big of a platform I believe StockX is and how, uh, I think it's gotten to the point where like when people in sneakers and outside sneakers think of the resale market, StockX is usually the first thing they think of. So the fact that StockX can no longer uh, guarantee that your shoes are going to be real and authentic, that's really, really fucking wild. Um, I know there had been an influx recently of like pandas and uh, or the panda dunks and then like some of the, the fragment Travis shoes, the highs and the lows. Those were getting through a lot fakes. I remember seeing somewhere like Mocha Ones. Those were also managing to slip through in a really, really big way. So um, I'm not surprised this is happening, especially given the fact that uh, next week, or technically already, but at mass next week, the Lost and Found Jordan 1s are launching. And that is probably the most anticipated sneaker of the year. And even though there are going to be 500,000 pairs available worldwide, uh, those are still going to be a problem when it comes to being able to legit check them. So yeah, StockX, that is insane. Uh, use Goat. Uh, that, I'm not sponsored by Goat or anything like that, but uh, Goat has never let me down. You know, you get a uh, pretty fast shipping if you choose to uh, spend extra money if you're a degenerate like I am. And for the final news story, this one covers professional wrestling. And normally I would kind of leave that to the side because I can just talk anyone's ears off about wrestling and I don't really want to, uh, at least in this particular space about music, but because it crosses over into mainstream stuff, I'm going to go ahead and just mention it. Um, this past weekend, Logan Paul had a fucking incredible showing uh, against Roman Reigns. Like it was genuinely really, really good and not just good for a celebrity match, but generally good in the sense of professional wrestling altogether. Um, Logan is... He he took this seriously, and that's always great to see, because I feel like when people think about, like, celebrity involvement in pro wrestling, they think of, 
like the the guest host era for Raw or um um uh, what what was that guy's name? Why am I blanking on this? Um fuck, he uh he won the WCW title, he had a death match with Nick Gage, um Ar- David Arquette, fuck, why did it take so long? Um like those are the kind of uh kinds of things that people might think of whenever they think of celebrities being involved in the industry. But Logan and then other people like Dennis Rodman, Stephen Amell, Giant Knoxville, Bad Bunny, they are like the outliers and the exceptions to that rule and kind of show that when somebody outside of the industry gets involved and they take it seriously and they really, really want to put on a good show, they can. And just to get this out of the way, because it's on my mind about pro wrestling, it's the last thing I'll say before moving on to the music. Awesome Theory is the biggest fucking bum that has ever bummed in the history of bums. I don't ever want to hear about fucking A-Town Down ever again. A-Town Down bad, you piece of shit. And so now I'm just going to go ahead and get into the singles from last week. And the first one up is Cyanide by Nothing Nowhere featuring Pete Wentz. Nothing Nowhere is fucking cooking right now because I'm not just talking about Cyanide, but then also factoring in um, Misery Syndrome, the prior single that featured Bunny Nielsen. He's doing something really, really marvelous right now. And the way that it's like differentiating from Trauma Factory, but in a way that's still like so inherently Nothing Nowhere at its core. And he's showing off a lot of versatility and a lot of range with what he's doing right now um cyanide i particularly love how the chorus it has that like for lack of a better way of phrasing it anthemic 2000s emo sound like i hear so much of like from first to last whenever i hear this chorus and it strikes this nostalgia within me but then also i am able to appreciate how nothing nowhere is advancing that nostalgic style in the year 2022 and it's really really beautiful Pete Wentz was like such a, a weird left field choice for a feature spot on a very seen song, but in the defense of Pete Wentz, he himself like turned up that scene dial so fucking much for Cyanide, and hearing him screaming on a song in this day and age, like that is insane and it is a generational track i I think nothing nowhere like i said he is cooking right now there's a a lot special happening with his uh, presence and his project right now Uh, just it's going to be really really exciting to see what else he brings forth in 2023 there is a brand new ep announcement by soft i'm going to get into the details shortly but first i want to look at the new single drain The EP is titled See You in the Dark. It drops March 24th, and it is really nice to start to see some of those quarter one 2023 releases filling up. It's definitely something to kind of keep me motivated, keep me going. Uh, Soft Cult have a big hand in that right now because Drain is fucking amazing, and it has like this intensity to it while not really being intense. It's really rooted in like that dark shoegaze type of a sound, and... It's very much so a style that, like, it's 
sort of still jarring to me, knowing soft cult derived from Courage My Love, and that act was like as far removed from what soft cult is doing as possible, but I really, really admire that. Um, the song, it's like, not to take a pun from the name of it, but it really, really is draining, but it's draining in a way where it's like, I don't mind giving soft cult this energy for the sake of them, uh, just removing it from my core and my being. It is highly emotional and just kind of picks out all of those right areas that I ask for a dark shoegaze track like this to really make its way into my brain and seep into all of my pores and just kind of be this really cathartic experience. I, I don't have a better way of putting it. Soft cult and drain just managed to entice me in a way that few other acts were able to last week. So this is not technically a single, but I don't know any other uh, space to put it in, so it's going here. Youth Fountain released the deluxe edition of Keepsakes and Reminders last year to commemorate the one-year release of that record, and one of the additional songs on it was Speaking in Tongues. I really tried last year to emphasize how much I thought Keepsakes and Reminders was like a dub for pop punk, and I think it's a record that went under the radar, but if you have the chance, now with the deluxe edition out, including Birthright and Speaking in Tongues, please, please, please go check this album out. I think it is incredible. Speaking in Tongues, it has... Uh, a lot of the same, like, really cool notions and tones that were present with the rest of the record. It's, like, kind of fast-paced, but not really energetic, while also being, like, a like a downer of a track, in a way. Uh, you Fountain, they have this intangible element to them when it comes to delivering pop-punk in a way that... Um, I'm not saying they're the best pop-punk band right now. They're definitely not, in my opinion, but they are better than a, a big portion of the upper echelon, and so... I just kind of want to put it out there, like, Youth Fountain, they've got something, maybe they're the future. Speaking of Tongues is going to be a remarkable song for you if that is what you're into. And even if you're not into that kind of stuff, go check it out anyways, the song is tremendous. Some details about the next To The Grave album, and there was a new single attached to it called Red Dot Sight. The album is called Director's Cut, it is releasing on February 24th, and I think what Red Dot Side does here is it kind of provides a bit of a continuation from what was seen on that second half of Epilogue out back uh, last April, I believe it was. Um, to me, To the Grave have been one of like the shining points of Deathcore recently, and I guess Deathcore slash New Metalcore now, considering the direction that Red Dot Side is taking the band into. Um, it is fast paced and hard hitting and, you know, anything that you could ask for from like that type of a track, the breakdowns, the, uh, the crazy screams, the, like the really cool information of like these, um, like guitar, uh, elements that are so inherent to new metalcore. I think that is all prevalent within Red Dot Sight. I think, uh, To the Grave just in general have this really cool, um, kind of a vibrancy going for them. And it's definitely something to be looking out for, for sure. And for the final single, also a February 24th album, Gorillas are dropping Cracker Island, and there was a new single attached to it called Baby Queen. 
big day for the cartoons and their weirdo fans. Um, I have like personally seen gorillas as like being very hit or miss in their duration. Um, you can look back on the two recent singles as examples of that because I thought the title track for Cracker Island might be one of the best songs of the year, whereas New Gold featuring Tame Impala and Booty Brown, I was kind of just like, all right, it's good, but nothing groundbreaking. Uh, Baby Queen, I'm putting it closer to that category for the title track for Cracker Island. I think this song has like this tremendous, uh, almost like a brooding tone for it, but it's brooding in a way that is still upbeat and still adheres to the style of gorillas and what makes them like really unique and really cool when they choose to be. Like, it feels so psychedelic while also being um, very ground-to-earth still, and in the way that, like, it wraps these ideas together about, like, again, the the slow-brooding style with the gorilla's uh, patented style. It's very, very sick. It's very cool. Um, I don't know entirely the direction that this record is going to be going into, but it's something that I'm looking forward to talking about. And I just realized, again, like, uh, February 24th, Gorillas and To The Grave are going to be on the same episode. That's really, really wild, but it's also a good testament to, like, what I think makes this podcast so cool at times, being able to talk about these artists that are, like, so far removed from one another in the same space. That's pretty fucking wild, and I love it. These are the remaining singles last week that I gave either a 4 or a 5 to in the reviews on social media. Autopilot by Action Adventure, I'm a Mess by Avril Lavigne featuring Youngblood, Ghost Brigade by Creeper, Everest by Endall, Oceanside by Mercy, Close to You by Nova Cub, Heavyweight by Ryan Oaks featuring Loveless, Burden of Desire by Soft Blue Shimmer, and Everlasting Sun by Stray Shot Home. There was one song I gave a 3 to, and that was King of Misery by Starletta. I've championed Starletta on the show before, and for good reason, I believe, but the new single, King of Misery, I can't really back it up in the same way. I think he kind of uh, takes the song in uh, a direction that's still uh, adherent to who he is, and that's fine, but it doesn't have the same uh, ferocity or the punch that, like, Crying in Miami did, for example. Um, and there was a single I forgot to review because I don't follow the band on Spotify, and that's kind of how I get the uh, the, the songs uh, to me. August Burns Mid. Um, I think they have a record out in 2023. I'll catch up on the singles then and I'll review the album. But uh, considering I just called them August Burns Mid, that kind of gives you an idea of where my head is at for them. So if you're a big fan of theirs, I do not apologize for anything I'm going to say. You should have stand a better band. So now that is going to bring me to the albums for last week. And there were five of them, but I think all five have uh, this real like star power entity to them. And for different reasons, and we're going to get into that now. The first record up is Cult Mentality by Avoid. So Avoid came onto my radar a couple years ago through the album Alone, and I can't recall seeing a ton of people talk about it before, and I feel like there's a reason for that besides Avoid kind of being a lesser-known band at that point in time. I don't think Alone was the best possible showcasing for Avoid's abilities, or at least what would become of their abilities, per se. Um, It's a decent album, but again, nothing that I... Uh, would gas up whether it be now or had this podcast been established back then in 2018 it's just an album that existed and that's fine but it wasn't uh it wasn't the best start for avoid let me say that now so then around the time of the pandemic in the summer of 2020 the fact that they came out with flashbang and that song being as fucking powerful and tremendous as it is that was to me a real 
like look into what Avoid would be doing, and what they would be doing was putting out one of my top ten records of that year in 2020, The Burner. I think The Burner is a perfect EP. Songs in there, not just Flashbang, but Hostage at the Beach House Party and Finish Line Two. Like those tracks remain uh like so special and important to me and especially given the time period that they came out in like i really needed a a release like that to latch myself onto so then of course there was a a great level of excitement on my end when it came to the rollout that would eventually occur for cult mentality uh that began back in march with the split or not ep but the split single of split kill it and cowabunga cowabunga i think had like this um like feeling to its fun delivery, but not just through the song itself, but also through the music video. I feel like those uh, combining for that package, that was like, uh, you know, pure, inherently uh, a void and everything that makes them such a really cool band in the scene. Uh, and then Cowbung on top of that all is just a really, really fun song, really catchy. Uh, Split Kill It, I believe, was my favorite at the time. Uh, it's entered into the top 100 songs by virtue of Scenic Overlook. Uh, I think Split Kill It had like a little bit more of this, like this... Um, aggressive tone to it per se and it was done in a way where it's not like overly heavy or anything but the parts of it that are meant to be heavy they feel like uh, this advancement for the sound of a void the rest of the singles thereafter they all did their job in establishing the style and sound of a void for this album Uh, my world has like this uh almost like a new metal flair to it and it's, it's a really really cool sound and a style that i think fits right into what cult mentality is going for the song, whatever, uh, combining that with the video, like, there is, a this real charm to that track, I guess. Um, the music video, it really takes the piss out of, like, uh, late 2000s, early 2010s metalcore or, like, crapcore, whatever you want to call that stuff. Um, it's fun, and I say that as somebody who very much so lived through that era and embraced that era and still to this day champions uh, the Attack Attack and Ask Alexandria style from back then. Like, it really, really means a lot to me, but at the same time, I can acknowledge when a video is funny and I thought whatever's video was incredibly funny. The last single before the album's release was Can't Take This Away, and I feel like that song, it has a little bit of a different approach to its delivery that's almost like an embracing of the popular side of scene music, and it's definitely a song that is... Um, maybe more to, like, that side, like, the Pops uh, Spectrum side for Avoid, but again, it's done in a way where I can't complain at all about how Avoid approached the song. I think it's incredible. Um, getting into some of the, the new material on the album, Blast Off is true to the nature of Avoid with the delivery on both the heavier and softer ends that I think showcase the all of the right strengths for this band and what makes them uh, a band that I was, like, really anticipatory for their release this year. Uh, Gatorfest is very much still the same story, but I'm not saying that it's too similar of a song to what's happening on Blast Off or whatever or anything else. I think at this point in the album, Avoid just has like this real, like, uh, like a signature style that they cannot help but seep into all their songs. And, it's, uh, there's probably other people who could review this album that would say that they were kind of like bored around this point of the album, but I wasn't bored because I feel like almost anything that Avoid can do is just so, like, right in tune with what I'm trying to listen to by a band like this. An example of where they kind of uh, fell flat on that end was the song Bored, and I don't try to, or I'm not trying to create like some sort of a pun saying like, oh, I was bored listening to Bored, but at least in comparison to the other songs here, I kind of was. I think Bored is maybe uh, a showing of like what happens when a band can rely on a certain style and uh, structure too much. Um, There's not enough done on board that makes it stand out in a good way from any other song here. I just kind of feel like it was uh, the one misfire on this record. 
but it's fixed almost immediately by Finish Line 3, and I think that song has an intro that very much so reminds me of Tastes Like Heaven Bacon by Iris of the Bear once for the two people listening to this podcast who remember that song. Uh, just very chaotic, very all over the place, but it's not a mess in any way. I think it's massively done and shows a lot of versatility on the part of Avoid that I was hoping to see fleshed out on Cold Mentality. And then you get to the closing song, Midnight Six, potentially the best song on the album, in my opinion. I think Midnight Six, it like right away just kind of establishes this um, like ferocious nature that it's not heavy per se, but it's just like the right kind of a, of a closing statement made by Avoid. And if this is what they're leaving me with in 2022, I am more than happy with how Midnight Six closed out the package that is called Mentality. I think the course is insane. It's definitely something that uh, acts as like a shining piece to the discography of Avoid. And I feel like there's so many parts of this record that can be just that, you know, whether it's the course on Midnight Six or the breakdown on whatever, or the uh, the way that Kalabunga kind of builds its courses. It's just, there's a lot to love on this record. Yeah, there's some parts of it that maybe could have been refined in ways, but for the most part, I think Avoid really... Um, delivered on their end when it came to following up on the burner in the best way possible um i don't know if this establishes a void as like one of the best bands in the scene but at the very least they're a band who people need to be paying attention to going into the future because they're definitely doing a lot to make a case for why they can be a future pillar the self-proclaimed greatest pop punk album ever made baku's revenge by magnolia park So uh, I think almost any kind of an intro that I could have given Magnolia Park for Baku's Revenge, it is in every possible facet of the English dictionary eclipsed by the intro song, question mark, and how uh, almost any point that I could have brought up about how like, you know, they're viewed as a TikTok band in some regards, the question mark literally addresses that. And it's just done in this way that I couldn't help but like just marvel at and be so entertained and enthralled by. Um, with intro songs like Question Mark, I normally, in the social media reviews, go with a rating of NA, not applicable, because I don't really know how to judge those songs. But Question Mark, I just gave the full five to because I couldn't think of any reason not to. It's everything that I think Magnolia Park needed to set in place for an intro to this album. Um it's just funny to me hearing them address critics by saying things like, oh, if somebody talks to you about Gnelli Park, I'm being the ass. This is Baku's motherfucking revenge. It's great. I love it. So then after question mark, the first song you hear is Feel Something featuring Derek Sanders from Mayday Parade. There's a little bit of fatigue on my end for Feel Something, definitely. Um, it was a single earlier in the year, and then it was a part of the Hardy EP, and now it's, you know, technically the opening track or the full opening track for Baku's Revenge. It's kind of been tired out by this point but at the same time it's a great song and i can't act like it's not still hitting in all the right ways uh i don't need it to be on another project and i don't think it will be i'm just saying that like um feel something is the kind of song where if it wasn't as good as it is i would have had some maybe harsh things to say about it being on this record but because it's a good song and i like it i can't complain about it the next song thereafter is misfits featuring taylor Korn, and 
this was, in my opinion, the highlight of the singles rollout, and listening to Bakker's Revenge altogether, I still think it's the highlight of the entire album. Misfits is a perfect pop-punk song. I cannot find anything about it that I would change, or I would say, like, deters me from the style of Magnolia Park in any way. I think Misfits is a, a fucking incredible song. Um, Addison Ray is, I think, like, the quintessential standard and admittedly generic pop-punk song, but I say generic in a way that it's not meant to disparage it. Addison Ray is the pop-punk what a song like Riptide by Beartooth is to radio rock, you know? Yes, these songs follow the exact same tropes that you would think that they do, but that doesn't make them bad. They're able to utilize those tropes in very effective manners. Addison Ray is a lot of fun, in my opinion. Um, Radio Reject has this really cool pacing to its verses in contrast to the chorus that is in alignment with the kind of pop punk that I think speaks a lot to what the genre is and maybe uh, to an extent what people looking out from the outside view it as. Um, I think the album has a few songs that maybe don't do anything overly special, but they're still able to showcase the strengths of Magnolia Park in a way that make them look, feel, and sound incredible. Uh, Drugs and Paralyzed being two examples, and especially Paralyzed, I, I think that song is and add on to what I was saying earlier about Misfits and Addison Ray and how, like, it's not doing anything unique to the pop-punk genre, but it's an expansion of what makes the genre so cool at times, in my opinion. I, I am going to bring the album down slightly right now by talking about Ghost to You, which was the lowest point of the record, in my opinion. Um, I understand what Ghost to You was going for, and I admire how different it comes across, but it's not different in the best way. It kind of feels like uh, they were trying to deviate from the formula for the sake of it and not because they had any like substance to add to that kind of a like a pop punk inspired track with uh hip hop influences. It's just there for the sake of being there. And I don't think it really um benefits Bakker's Revenge in any way. If anything, it hinders it. Um the closing song, I should have listened to my friends. I remember reviewing it when it was a single, and I'm going to kind of just reiterate all of the amazing things I said about it back then. That song is phenomenal, and acting as a closing song, I think it culminates the sound of Bakker's Revenge in a big way with a catchy and explosive chorus, and it just kind of brings together all of the right themes and ideas and concepts for Bakker's Revenge in the most grandiose fashion that Magnolia Park could have for the outro song. To answer the meme question that I posed before the review, because that's what Magnolia Park cited Bakker's Revenge as, it's not the greatest pop-punk album ever made. It's not even close, but I think it is a good pop-punk album. I think it's an album that uh, gives Magnolia Park a real identity outside of being a quote-unquote TikTok band. Um, and I also just kind of feel like if you are like allowing the persona of Magnolia Park online and the way that the fans react to them, if you're allowing that to kind of like, uh, you know, direct your opinion about them, I think you're approaching this act in the wrong way because there's a lot that they have to offer musically through Bakker's Revenge. Again, Misfits, Addison Ray, Paralyzed, I Should Have Listened to My Friends. These are fucking exceptional pop punk songs, whether this is a gimmick band or not. Um, and you're doing a disservice to yourself if you dismiss uh, this record because of how you perceive Magnolia Park online. And I just think no matter what is happening with Magnolia Park, when it comes to like their Twitter game that is admittedly shambolic or their TikTok game that's not much better, they're great at what they do musically. And that's what I'm here to look at and judge. Here is one that I was really looking forward to getting to talk about finally, and that is Daisy Chain by Slowly Slowly. So 
the, the way that I do reviews normally, or I try to when it comes to like telling the history of bands or my history with them, there's very little with that I can do for Slowly Slowly because while I did listen to their prior albums like St. Leonard's and Race Car Blues, I don't have great attachments to them. I don't have stories uh, to coincide with my experience listening to them because uh, at the time, Slowly Slowly admittedly were kind of a band that just like went in one year out the other year, not to disparage them in any way, but like they weren't uh, a standout highlight to me in any way. So for that reason, uh, some of the singles for Daisy Chain, like Blueprint and Forget You, um, I didn't really, really know about them at the time. And it wasn't until the title track for Daisy Chain came out alongside the album announcement that I started to pay attention to what was happening here with Slowly Slowly. And I'm actually really glad that that was like my pickup point for the album's rollout because I think the title track is fucking sensational and at the time that it came out back in the summer, it had like this real kind of a summer feel to it. And I thought it was the best possible way for me to like kind of be indoctrinated into the cycle for Daisy Chain. And then from there, any excitement that I had built up for Daisy Chain was only amplified by the second single or the second single that I was aware of, Long Shot. I cannot express to you guys just what long shot has meant to me since i first heard it the amount of times i've listened to it just how uh much i've exhausted that song but at the same time myself not being exhausted by it uh long shot is just everything that i could ask for like that type of an alt pop track to really exemplify um i mentioned the top track daisy chain being like a summer song long shot has this like real fall feeling to it and maybe that's the reason why i've been able to like grab onto it the way that i have but long shot is to me just the core of this record it is everything that i could have asked for out of uh slowly slowly just a, a perfect impeccable song i did mention blueprint earlier and i think that song has this really um like explosive sound going for it that mixes uh like all pop and indie rock and just standard rock and to me it's a good uh, encapsulation for what the whole album goes for um forget you scales back things a little bit embracing a more pop centric style to daisy chain that is still just as emphatic as the louder moments on the record in my opinion um turn it around was my favorite of the non-singles and i think that's attributed to the chorus that morphs ben's voice to the very unique interpretation going on there um, there's a lot happening on this album that I think I'm still waiting to, like, establish full identities for themselves. Um, I, I guess what I mean by that is that there are songs here that, like, they don't stand out yet, but I can tell that there's potential for them to stand out later on. Uh, for instance, I think Achilles Heel is a great song, but it maybe doesn't really, you know, pull itself apart from the other songs here because it's mixing with other tracks in the second half that also are metaphorically battling for that distinction, like Hold My Breath or Moving Trains. Um, there are two songs back to back that I think have been able to uh, make themselves stand out, Medicine and God. Medicine is a very slow acoustic song that paints the more painful moments of Daisy Chain immaculately well, and then God is slow as well, but it kind of has this rebellious tone to it that makes it feel not slow in a way. Um, and I think that is uh, attributed to Ben being able to carry very perfectly his voice while delivering lines like, I said, hey God, he said, who me? Oh, you must have me confused. I'm just a corporate slogan. See, if you need a reason, good or bad, you can rely on me for your facts. And then Paper Mache is the closing song and continues a trend of slow tracks that slowly, slowly managed to just completely body. And I think coming out of this record, 
I got a really cool glimpse at every possible side to Slowly Slowly and how they've figured out how to navigate their sound almost perfectly for a full album. Um, you know, maybe some things here don't really stand out as much as Longshot or God or Turn It Around, but no matter what is happening on Daisy Chain, I just feel like Slowly Slowly made a good case for why nobody should be sleeping on them, why this is a record that people need to go other ways to hear and check out. Um, you know, I don't think it's a record that you can find any reason to be bored with, uh, because there's a lot happening here that is like, so, um, like maybe this is like a bold and presumptuous statement, but I feel like everybody in the scene has some kind of an affinity for all pop. And no matter what kind of a, like a style you go for in that realm, there's more than a few things on Daisy Chain for you to identify with in a really, really big way. And this album is only going to age really, really well, I believe. A divisive album by a metalcore band, What Is New, Dark Sun by Dayseeker. I think from a name value standpoint, Dayseeker is the biggest band that I'm talking about today and potentially for the rest of the month as far as uh, records and albums and EPs of that sort go. Um, Dayseeker, they they mean something to the scene. They mean uh, a fuck ton and I feel like they have maintained and established connections with their fans that, you know, you kind of just dream about or some bands just dream about and the way that Dayseeker have been able to... Um, like appease their listeners up to this point was remarkable. Um, for myself personally, uh, a lot of the early day secret material doesn't really, uh, it doesn't strike me the way that the latter stuff does. So like origin and what it means to be defeated, they're okay records, but I, I don't think about them a lot. I don't go back to them a lot. They kind of just exist uh, in the discography of day seeker. Dreaming is sinking, waking is rising was the moment where I looked at this band and thought like, okay, they've got something here. They're finding themselves, they're figuring it out, and they're doing it in a way that makes me very hopeful for the future. And that hope uh, manifested itself into Sleep Talk, the 2019 record by Dayseeker. Sleep Talk, I think, was one of the most acclaimed albums from the scene that year. And still to this day, like people talk about Sleep Talk like in the sense of it being a, a classic, and I can't help but agree with that. I think Sleep Talk has a number of just amazing songs on it. Uh, my favorite Dayseeker song ever is on their Burial Plot. I, I think Dayseeker really found a nice groove for themselves on Sleep Talk, and it would have been easy to just make Sleep Talk Part 2 with uh, Dark Sun. But because of personal events related to the vocalist Roy Rodriguez, that wasn't possible because he dealt with the passing of his father last year, and the the effect that had on him it, it seeps into every possible pore in dark sun and i'm not saying him writing about his father created the disconnect that is making dark sun a divisive album but i think the musical and stylistic approach that he took to uh, emphasizing on these themes that is where the disconnect comes from and it's a disconnect that i don't agree with and i don't think it's fair for people to have looked at this record the way that they did or some people rather and just you know take the approach of like Oh, not heavy, so not good. Which, you know... I talked about this before with, like, Architects and whatever else. Fuck off with that shit, man. To me, at its core, Dark Sun is a fantastic record. I really, really enjoy 
essentially everything that is happening here. Is it my favorite DC Girl album? No, it still is Sleep Talking. Does that make me sound hypocritical? I don't fucking know, man. You can figure out your own conclusions or whatever you want to. Uh, so just to look at Dark Sun, Neon Grave was the first single. This came out back in, I believe, March. And I remember uh, being on a break from work because I was uh, working from home at the time. And I listened to Neon Grave and it just struck me emotionally in a really big way. And it stuck with me. And just the way that you can uh, hear the like pain in Rory's voice when it comes to uh, talking about his father's passing, it was shining in a really, really big way on Neon Grave, and it set the stage perfectly for Dark Sun. Can Heaven Fall Into My Lonely Earth, Cause Hell Is When I Know You Won't Return, is one of the most just powerful and emphatic lines I've heard in a chorus all year long. Um, the next single, Without Me, I think is a more straightforward rock take on what is happening with this record, and it's done in a way that uh, it doesn't really paint the image per se for what is happening on Dark Sun. It just kind of acts as like um, more so of a bridge between Sleep Talk and Dark Sun. Um, Dream State, not too different uh, from some of the more tame elements on Sleep Talk, in my opinion. Like, uh, kind of going back to what I said about Without Me, like, you can hear the bridging of the gap there, and it's not so much what's happening with Dark Sun, but just uh, Dayseeker kind of maybe trying to ease listeners and fans into the material on this new record. Crying While You're Dancing was maybe the single that gave, like, the most insight into what was going to be happening on this album. There's a real, like, danceable factor to Crying While You're Dancing, not to, like, make a pun for the title of the song, but it's just so infectious and catchy, and it's one of the, the top uh, points of the album, in my opinion. Uh, to me, listening through Dark Sun for the first time last week, Homesick was where the comparisons made between uh, Dayseeker and Hurtwave became more apparent to me with the delivery of Homesick's electronic elements. Uh, for those who don't know, Hurtwave is like Rory's side project where he was able to explore more pop-oriented stuff, and I feel like a lot of what he was doing on Hurtwave found its way onto Dark Sun. Um, Midnight Eternal scales back the pacing a lot in favor of something more pop and electronic driven, so like that's a continuation of what I've been saying about the Hurtwave style. Um, the back-to-back -back stretch of the title track Dark Sun and Quicksand is one of the highlights of the entire album, in my opinion. Um, I think Dark Sun's chorus acts as in like a, the perfect infusion of EDM into scene music, and also the incorporation of piano in the chorus is fucking beautiful here. Uh, Quicksand has almost this like catchy, draining feeling to its delivery. It's a little bit weird to explain, but it's like... I can hear Rory maybe not as energized as he normally is, but it's that kind of delivery that makes Quicksand stand out in a really, really good way, in my opinion. Um, Paper Heart is primarily acoustic and builds perfectly to its outro section that breathes more life into what is going on, and for that reason, I think Paper Heart is kind of able to be uh, somewhat of a standout, honestly. Um, Parallel. Fucking shit, dude. Parallel. It is one of the most emotional songs I've heard all year, and I feel like that's the kind of song. Can I hear the ice cream truck in the background? There's dead as an ice cream truck. Should I stop recording, or should I just let it be? Okay, I think it's off in the distance now. But uh, yeah, what a fucking time for the ice cream truck to interrupt. That was crazy. I apologize. Uh, or maybe maybe I don't apologize. I don't know. Uh, Parallel, one of the most emotional songs I've heard all year, and I feel like that song kind of acts as like the core of Rory's gripes on social media about people, you know, having issues with the stylistic choices that he and Dayseeker made when approaching Dark Sun. Lyrically, the song has some of the most gutting moments on the whole record, like just 
when you immediately start listening to this song, what you're greeted with is, I walk in the room and I can't conceive it, the hospital bed you're fighting to breathe in, I'm holding your hand but it's losing color, I know you weren't ready to go, where you are now, only God knows. There's a lot about this record and the the themes of death and grieving that are able to like pull me in closer than maybe they wouldn't have had I not had the experience that I did. And I'm not trying to compare, you know, my own uh, uh, memories and dealings with death to Rory's because everybody deals with death and grief their own way. You know, everybody's experience with that stuff is unique to themselves. What I'm saying is that there's a lot happening here lyrically with this record that just made me think of certain things and put me in certain uh, mind states that I I don't like to go to, but it's necessary for me to go to because I still deal with certain things, you know, it, no matter how long it's been, it's always going to be part of me. And I always need cathartic releases like what Darkson provided. The album closes with Afterglow, Hazel's song. And for those who don't know, Hazel is uh, Rory's daughter that he had in the time between Sleep Talk and Dark Sun. Um, with this being the final song on Dark Sun, the perception that I have, and maybe it's the wrong perception, but it's just something that I couldn't like not have my mind be drawn to, is that um, with one life ending in the form of Rory's father and another beginning through his daughter Hazel, this being the closing song kind of alludes to that cycle of life, you know, like one life beginning, another one starting. Um, him having the stretch that he did in Dark Sun to be able to talk about his father and then closing with Hazel's song. It's like him taking everything that he learned from his father and applying it to what he is going to do in his own journey in fatherhood, uh, you know, raising Hazel. And it, it's just fucking beautiful, man. It, it's something that like, you can't teach a songwriter how to do this. It's just something that has to come to them through human nature and instinct. And Rory is going about this the right way, the way that he should be. And I can't help but commend him for how he approached Dark Sun. And and I don't want this to turn into like me bashing fans of metalcore music or anything like that because I've done that so many times. You know, I did it with Architects. With the next time I talk about Bring Me the Horizon, I'm gonna have to do it again. With Dayseeker, it's just like uh, you know, I, I don't know how else to put it, guys. Like, just stuff happens, things change, people want to do different stuff. You know, it's it is what it is. And in my opinion, Dayseeker approached this new style for Dark Sun the best way that they could have. And I think this album is tremendous. I love it. I've I, I it's been able to grow on me a lot since I first heard it, and I already loved it initially. So, yeah, Dark Sun by Dayseeker, uh, a tremendous album. And for the final album today, we have what I believe is one of the best debut albums, not just in recent memory, but in the totality of seed music altogether. Spiritual Ascension by Sharia Moore. I feel an immaculate sense of pride in being able to talk about Sharia Moore and talk about the extent to which I fucking adore this album. Um, this is a really special band to me, like really, really special. And um, I don't say this with the intention of sounding like a like a hipster or nothing like that, but um, genuinely like a day one fan of Sharia Moore because I remember 
being in my mom's apartment. And this is back at uh, the start of June 2021. Because at that time, uh, I was dealing with the passing of my cat Mikasa. And so I was just doing anything I could to not be home and not like be reminded of anything about that occurrence. And I was just scrolling through Twitter and I came across Equal Vision's tweet promoting the music video for Burn that was set to release the next day. And initially, I was just like, all right, cool, uh, new band. I could probably review this for Ulterior. Uh, let me check it out. And it was the video, uh, or the video was of the second chorus of the song. And I played that little fucking clip for like an hour, like no cap. I just could not stop listening to it. Everything about it just resonated with me in this grandiose manner. And I couldn't pull myself away from it for anything. And uh, Burn came out the next day, and that week, I gave it the number one spot for Scenic Overlook. And keep in mind, like, what came out that week. Sweet by Static Dress. Bloody Knuckles by Sleeping With Sirens. Memphis Mayfire actually decided to drop a good song that week in Blood and Water. Loveless released Loveless One. Y'all remember Loveless One? That shit was fucking amazing. And despite all that, I still went with Burn, number one, because it did something to me that I didn't know a debut single for a band could do. It just... It was everything. It sparked this massive interest in Shreya Moore for myself with only one song to go off of. And then that turned into Orlando the next month being just fucking amazing. And then Beautiful Mess Perfect Disaster was also amazing. And the rest of internal discussions just reaffirmed this belief I had that Shreya Moore were giving us as good of a glimpse into the future of sea music as any band at that time could have. The style that they utilize that mixes like scene stuff with R&B stuff with all pop with hard rock like everything about it is fucking immaculate I remember seeing in their Spotify bio at the time of uh, internal discussions released saying that like their influences included like Linkin Park Bring Me the Horizon Don Broco like just that mixture of those three acts three of the most important acts I've ever come across makes for the winning formula that Sharia Moore have been able to embody perfectly so coming into this year, I was just more than eager, more than hopeful to get some kind of new material out of Sharia Moore. And around the summertime, we started to see glimpses of that. So Sin City would have been the lead single for this record. And what I could hear off of Sin City, especially in the chorus, was Sharia Moore picking up right where they left off on internal discussions and like picking back up that infectious energy and just everything about their, uh, their delivery that made them a very special and unique band for myself. So Sin City was just the perfect way to kind of ease myself and other listeners of theirs into whatever was going to be coming out soon for them. The second single, Love's Not Your Thing. I don't know of a song this year that has grown on me more than that, and I say that as somebody who loved it initially, but like being able to hear it in like the, the four months that it has existed for uh, public consumption, Love's Not Your Thing is one of the best things that Sheree Moore have ever done. I'm hesitant to call it my favorite song by them in general because Burn still exists and Burn is, for reasons that I outlined uh, seconds ago, just like so special to me. But Love's Not Your Thing has this really particular delivery to it that it paces itself perfectly. It never tries to like really show off anything when it doesn't need to. Um, the verses, they understand like how to build up to the choruses perfectly. That first chorus being like a kind of scale back in comparison to the second one, it makes for this incredible structure that I think adds to the uh, addictive nature that you possess once listening to Love's Not Your Thing. Um, the pre-chorus that, uh, you can hear like, uh, like the drums kind of like going off a little bit and then like just that backing vocal of like, love is not your thing. Love is not your thing. 
I don't know how else to describe it, man. It's just fucking amazing. And then uh, the third single, Letting Go. If my memory serves me correctly, that is where Spiritual Ascension was announced for uh, November 4th. Um, the immense excitement on my end. And Letting Go is just a perfect song. And I feel like I'm just going to be reiterating that point all throughout this uh, review because I think Sharia Moore are a perfect band and uh, Spiritual Ascension is a perfect record. Uh, with Letting Go, I feel like the the build up to the chorus on that it kind of like uh i can just easily imagine myself like watching the sunset and then as uh day turns to night and just having all of these vibrant emotions run through me that's a weird way to explain it but that's just like something that has been able to jump out of me listening to letting go um losing control was the final single in preparation for the album and i feel like losing control it has like this aggression and energy that is ramped up from the prior singles like there's a real attitude to the song's delivery that i think is able to separate it from its contemporaries in a really really big way looking at the rest of the material for the album welcome is this like static intro that gives the record almost a movie score type of a feel like it's a really uh odd way to set up the album but i think uh hearing it rather than just like uh knowing about it in practice or in theory it is astonishing what welcome is able to do and how that bleeds into on deck which is a really effective like opening type of a song that i think will translate really really well in a live setting um it's more punk driven than anything else on the album and i I think for that reason it can do a lot to get a crowd going especially if it's one not so familiar with tria more uh low and lean has this big r&b feeling to it and i think that showcases um that style of Sharia more perfectly and furthers the notion that they have their identity down like no other band in the scene at their age does. Like for a band that has really only been around in this incarnation for a little over a year, the fact that they can put together a song like Low and Lean and have that exist in the same discography as Burn or Orlando or Love's Not Your Thing, like that is an achievement. It really, really is. Mind's Eye is one of the catchiest songs of the entire year. Like I cannot express to you guys like how stupidly my head was able to like bop around once the song started playing and just the way that it never lets up that infectious energy all the way from the verses and translating into the chorus like mind's eye is just exceptional in my opinion god be a woman let's Trey deliver this flow that I think is immaculate, and it, it kind of reminds me of Ride With Me by Nelly. I know it's a weird comparison to make for a scene song, but that's just like where my mind went to. Um, and it has some really fun lines thrown into it, like, I always thought it'd be about copying Christian Dior, flavors du jour, but it's all about Sharia more. The title track, Spiritual Ascension, slows things down, and it gives Sharia more a darker identity momentarily. Like, it, it, it's as if, uh, like, just to paint an image or, or so. It's like the sun shining on this album clouds itself for a bit to give them the space to deliver something more brooding. Um, I liken this song to how I felt about XO by Stan Atlantic and how that song deviates from fear in the same way that the title track here deviates from spiritual ascension, but it's done in a way where it's just like an added on layer to the brilliance of Cheerio More. The album closes with In My Head, which is the slowest song on the record and feels the most uncharacteristic and uncharted for Cheerio More, but... I love being able to see this versatility from them because throughout the material for Spiritual Ascension, I can really tell that there's a lot more to this act than what has been displayed at a surface level up to this point. Like, there's so much with this band that we don't know about and we haven't seen yet, and I very much so look forward to being able to uncover all these layers to them because prior to hearing Spiritual Ascension, I I thought I had a good idea of like their identity through internal discussions, and then they come out with this record and it show off way more than I perceived them to be. Sharia Moore with Spiritual Ascension put forth one of the best outings for a debut record I've ever seen in my life. 
I, I can't express it enough. Like these guys have the fucking dog in them for real, for real. And I've like kind of reserved using this word to describe a band because I kind of wanted to make it like a little bit special per se. Sharia Moore are hoopers. They are fucking fantastic. Everything about Spiritual Ascension is perfect. They did not have to deliver a record of this magnitude for their first try, and they fucking did, because they are just that goddamn good at what they do. Um, if you have not heard this album yet, please go check it out. There is so much in this record to sink your teeth into. I don't see any way that anybody can listen to anything off of Spiritual Ascension and just like not feel some kind of an attachment to. Like th This band took the concept of a debut album and just fucking obliterated any expectations. And that's it. That was every album and single from last week for me to review. Um, I, I don't know if this episode or doing this episode like damaged my voice further in any way. I would hope not, but um, it's all for the love of the game. You feel me? Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, for better or worse, let's make a scene.